Hello, welcome back to Labor for Truth. Today I want to discuss um, basically currency, paychecks, jobs, that kind of stuff. So more of an economic conversation. Um, what I wanted to bring up first before we get into kind of the modern day quote that I'm going to be bringing up is I wanted to just think through God's design from the beginning and kind of our fulfillment in that. So, you know, in the Garden of Eden, we have God saying, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. So, you know, there's a lot of applications from that. But one of them is trying to figure out how we can interact with each other in the best way. And um, one of the first exchanges we see, or at least, you know, division of labor we see, um, is in the is basically uh, Adam and Eve's kids, Cain and Abel. One kid was able to was basically a killer. He was able to have you know animal meat and fur stuff like that, and the other one was more of a gatherer of fruit. So you know that's the division of labor. Like obviously, not everyone is going to be um, doing every job. We all have different kinds of jobs, and we cooperate in, in the midst of that. So, you know, not everybody's a fruit gatherer, not everybody's a meat gatherer. But we see in the beginning that um, that caused a problem because, you know, then you have, you know, one person thinking that their thing is more valuable than others. And, you know, it becomes harder to exchange. And, you know, you see it with Cain and Abel that, you know, it appears like God's more pleased with Abel than Cain, which is why he ended up killing him, right? So, um, you know, trying to figure out how to curb uh, covetousness is, you know, very important to taking dominion and being able to cooperate with one another. We see in the, in the Tower of Babel people working together, but they're doing it in a way that's outside of their lane. They're going after God. They're saying, you know, we want to be like God and we want to make ourselves like God. And so they're using their cooperation for evil. And then you also have you know, Noah in the ark where it says everyone do was right in their own eyes. Obviously, there's a spiritual connotation to that, but there's also a sense in where they weren't, you know, fulfilling their call to love their neighbor properly. Because if they were, then they wouldn't be... Um, you know, just all about themselves, like completely self-interested. They would be trying to serve one another and love one another. And, you know, God would be pleased with that. So, you know, in the beginning, you have this tension where um, everyone's about themselves. They want to serve themselves. They want to get what they can get. And, you know, they still they don't have the spirit of cooperation, you know. And in future podcasts, we'll talk about, you know, the value of self-interest and it being a good motivator but, you know, it can't be utter self-interest and, you know, being too individualistic. We still obviously must serve each other. Um, you know, like Jeff Bezos building, building his business, he was serving millions of people, whether it's through jobs or, you know, the actual service of delivering all these objects. You know, he he's doing a service for people. Right. So. um So back then you had bartering. So I might have a fish, right, that I went and caught, and you might have a dagger, right? And, you know, you forged it, and I sat there and made a fish, right? So you spent your day making a dagger, and I spent my day catching a few fish, 
um, and, and basically preparing bread, right? So I have a meal, and you have something that can allow me to defend my, my, my food, you know, a dagger. So we could barter for that and trade for that. But the problem is, is that, you know, the first, it, it becomes tricky because it's very, it's not very precise. Um, you know, I think about, um, and it's also subjective too, because is it, does this man have like 10 daggers? Like, does he have a bunch of daggers? Or maybe this is his last dagger. If it's his last dagger, he might want to hold on to it. And, you know, it becomes like supply and demand where he wants to raise the price. So if he had a bunch of daggers, like a surplus, then he might be okay with trading his dagger for just two fish. But um, if it's his last one, he might want to get six. When the guy who's like has six fish, he's like, you know, I don't really want to. You know, he might only have six fish. So it's like, man, then I don't have anything else to barter with to be able to trade this out. So, you know, in the beginning, that's all you had. You just had to try and make it work. You had to try and, you know, work together. And that was not a very efficient way of taking dominion and subduing the earth, right? Very, there's a lot of uh, loss in the midst of that. Because you had that, that exchange times hundreds or thousands and it's over, you know, all the time. And, you know, most people just do what they do. The guy who makes is a blacksmith. He just makes his swords. So, you know, somebody either feels like they're charging too much or not enough or they can't get enough for their product or whatever it is. But that's the beauty, beauty of some sort of currency. So you have some, either you have something that's more tangible, like metals, right? We've, you know, had gold, and you know copper silver whatever it might be like one of my buddies his wife she collects like jewelry um as basically a type of asset that she can liquidate if it comes down to it so um this this, all this is just kind of getting in our head thinking about like the primitive state of originally you know when we have the early very early stage of mankind in the Bible, obviously sin is in our heart and, you know, people are, you know, self-interested and they want to pursue what they want to pursue. And, you know, they're trying to get the most out of whatever they, they've done with that day. You know, we all only have so much that we can do every day. Um, some people are worth more, some people are worth less. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, a lot of times when we talk, we think about God and the Bible and, and all these things, we think about, you know, like her relationship with God, which obviously it's super important. And that's like why we're created is a relationship with God. But we also, you know, there's not, a, we, we have to be in relationship with one another, you know, on this earth with sin, we have to, right. But there's, there's a way to go about that to glorify God. Like, you know, obviously our faith is not just about relationship with God. And even in eternity, when we don't have sin, we still have to have a relationship with each other. So, you know, something that's going to allow us to interact with one another without, you know, feeling like an imbalance of exchange of our of our time. Um, but yeah, so this is kind of all preliminary conversation to kind of get your headspace, like thinking about okay, dominion, subdue the earth, you know, cooperation with one another, uh, you know, how to, you know, the call to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, you know, all these things, uh, you know, this is like, this is like biblical economics, basically. It's like, you know, we have these theories of economics that are just like, just based on fiscal, you know, just like, all right, does this work? Is this the best way for everyone to be happy? Like these different other categories aren't necessarily spiritual. 
But then you have kind of this is other side of the Christian side of it, like the theological side of it, where you're asking, you know, does God care about money? Does God care about how we cooperate? Does God have any sort of, you know, care about our physical well-being, you know, our, our physical prosperity in any sort of way? Or, you know, is it just like love God, you know, pray a lot, read your Bible, right? So um, the book I'm going to be quoting today, one second. Is by uh, Tim. Is by, his name is uh, Tim Keller. Um, I don't have. I think some issue with him on some things for sure, but you, you know, is you, you. There's always a chance for you. For some people who believe that you're not allowed to give any credence to anybody, like if they have major issues and you disagree with them, then you're just like, yeah, I'll never talk about them. I'll never give them any brownie points for for things they do say, right? But you know, I think that if somebody makes a really strong point it's very unique like i'm gonna give them their due um which it's kind of funny because he didn't actually he's it's actually a quote within a book within his book like the what we're about to read so it's not really him but i guess i i can give at least give him the uh the credit for finding the quote but man when i i was going back through this book because when i since i became a libertarian like i read this book a few years ago i was going back through it just looking at my highlights because that's just kind of how i am trying to kind of pick up all the good stuff, kind of just remind myself, okay, because this book is called um, Every Good Endeavor, and it's, uh, the, the subtitle is Connecting Your your Work to God's Work, so it's kind of what we're talking about today, and <clears throat> I might end up coming back to this book later on, but I try not to be too into any particular book at one time, I try not to be like, oh, six, oh, six podcasts on the same book, sheesh, Jim, but um, this particular quote is my favorite by far on this subject on just like economics and taking dominion and all that. So the quote is from a guy named Lester DeCoster in his book. Work the meaning of your life. That's, that's the name of the, of the other book, which I've never read it before, but is just this quote is very like I like I like these quotes because like these type of quotes because it reminds me of Jesus and how he's very much a storyteller like a parable kind of guy and like using story to explain things is super helpful especially like a really like logical step by step story like this super helpful for just kind of thinking through the implications and there's like it's really nice because you can kind of go back through and unpack what they said. Um, so Tim Keller says, author Lester DeCoster does an excellent job of showing how indispensable work is for human life in all times and places. So here's the, here's the quote of, of Lester. Work is the form in which we make ourselves useful to others, in which others make themselves useful to us. We plant with our work. God gives the increase to unify the human race. Look at the chair you are lounging in. Could you have made it for yourself? How would you get, say, the wood? Go and fell a tree? Knock down a tree. But only after first making the tools for that and putting together some kind of vehicle to haul the wood and constructing a mill to do the lumber and roads to drive on from place to place. 
ensure a lifetime or two to make one chair. Which is freaking, it's like, whoa, I didn't even need to think, what? It's kind of like one of those crazy ways to think about it, but it's a lot of work to just make a chair without a bunch of people working together. If we work not 40, but 120 hours per week, we couldn't make ourselves from scratch even a fraction of all the goods and services that we call our own. Our paycheck, this is really, this is the key of this, of this quote. Our paycheck turns out to buy us the use of far more than we could possibly make for ourselves in the time it takes us to earn the check. Work yields far more in return upon our efforts than our particular jobs put in. That part is, that's really the, the heart of this whole podcast right now. So he keeps going. He's just like, all right, let's imagine if we don't have a paycheck. Imagine this. And that keeps, that's what I mean by the story time. Imagine. Imagine that everyone quits working right now. What happens? Civilized life quickly melts away. Food vanishes from the shelves. Gas dries up at the pumps. Streets are no longer patrolled. And fires burn themselves out. Communication and transportation services end. Utilities go dead. Those who survive at all are soon huddled around campfires, sleeping in caves, clothed in raw animal hides. The difference between a wilderness and a culture is simply work. That's the end of that guy. There may be no better way to love your neighbor, whether you are writing parking tickets, software, or books, than to simply do your work, but only skilled, skillful, competent work will do. Just, just to keep going, just real quick, so you can, this is not really all tending to read, but I just, just to keep flowing with the competent work part. One of the main ways that you love your neighbors, uh, love others in your work is through the ministry of competence. If God's purpose for your job is that you serve the human community, then the way to serve God best is to do the job as well as it can be done. All right, so going back, you know, there's a lot here to be unpacked. Yeah, so going back to the chair, right? So the chair I'm sitting in right now, um, yes, there is one person that took basically all the ready products and sat there and worked on it. But, you know, to be able to get it to where it's able to be like a ready-made wood takes a bunch of different people. You know, there's somebody who goes in and, you know, goes up and drives the car over to the tree you know, chops it down, puts it in their car, you know, a bunch of wood together, brings it somewhere. Then somebody takes that wood and processes it. Then somebody's sitting at Home Depot, right? You know, there's somebody who, you know, who bought, who owns the warehouse or Home Depot or whatever that keeps, stores it on behalf of people to come get it. And there's people who work there that sell it. And then, you know, finally, you and then then you have somebody who comes and takes the wood and buys it and then makes it into a chair right and that i mean that's a really oversimplified version there's a, there's a lot more to it but that's like the more you know more well-known parts to it there's a lot of micro parts inside of that right so it makes you look at a hundred dollar two hundred dollar chair differently because you must always think could i make this myself you know how long would it take me to make it and I think about that, like, because I'm not very handy. Just I'm just not. And so when I try and sit there and make like a bookshelf, I, I can I, I by the end of it, I like it from the standpoint of just kind of like trying down experimenting with it. By the end of it, I'm like, man, you know, this is annoying. This is complicated, and I don't like to put in the time for. It. I'd rather do. I'd rather read a book or you know whatever. Go play basketball. Go do something else. Like that's not as much of a, you know, grind. 
So, he says, Our paycheck turns out to buy us the use of far more than we could possibly make for ourselves in the time it takes us to earn the check. So as we complain at times, oh, I'm working 40, 45, 50 hours a week, you know, the amount that it allows us to buy in principle means so much. I mean, the food, you know, childcare it might be, or, you know, being able to afford paying off a house. Uh, I mean, think about all the people that went into paying, you know, building your house. You're paying off your house in increments, paying off your computer. Maybe your laptop, I mean, your, your computer, your, you know, whatever, your um, your fridge, you know, whatever it might be, all these things. Um, you know, all these things are able to happen because of the division of labor, people cooperating together. Um, one of my buddies, he really likes The Walking Dead. And just like dystopian kind of shows like that. And we were kind of, he likes to talk about like situational ethics, basically. And he likes to bring up, you know, he's like, well, this person's in this scenario. And, um, you know, what what would you do in this scenario? Like, you know, people are threatening you or, or like this guy's the only person that knows how to make this thing in this, you know, in that little community of people. And, you know, there's not like in this world, we have an abundance of knowledge. Like, you know, there's probably a bunch of people who know how to make. Like, you've got to build a computer, like, not a ton, but there's enough to where it's, like, there's competition. Um, but in that world, there's, like, so little people, and, like, there's actually a lot of stuff that's just been, like, basically extinct, you might say. Like, uh, an idea that, like, nobody knows how to do anymore. The people who did know, they all died. And, um, you know, we, you know, we, we, a lot of times we have different scares. Like, we had toilet paper scare, or we have gas scare, or whatever it might be over the years where something wasn't able to get to us. And, and that's what the economy pretty much fully functioning with millions of people cooperating together. So, you know, imagine if all of a sudden something just stopped, that would just screw up everything. Like, okay, for example, like we just ran out of gas or doesn't, well, right now it's gas, but it could be anything. Like let's say we just ran out of energy. Um, you know, we wouldn't be able to power our homes. We wouldn't be able to turn on our lights. We wouldn't be able to, you know, drive our vehicles. We saw that recently in the beginning of 2021. Where in Texas, a lot of people lost their power for like multiple days because the, the grid couldn't handle it. So in the long term, we could just completely lose power and either not have heat or cold, depending on what time of year it is. This is all fascinating because all of these developments, if you think about it from the standpoint of a long time ago, thousands of years ago, they didn't have any of this. You know, going back then, they were just like, I hope that I can, you know, grow my trees and that they'll be prosperous and then I could go in and or my corn or whatever it might be and i'll go sell it and then be able to barter it and trade it in for other stuff that i need and they were just like hoping it would work out you know especially if you were in the perishable world like a guy who made a dagger he can sit on that dagger for years but you know if you're a, if you're a guy who made fruit you know like if you made avocado i mean you can't just like have like a storage unit of avocados for months on end they're gonna go bad at a certain point so you know, but the thing about it, too, is there's always there's people who need that food. So how do you make it to where you, you can incentivize people and be able to have a fluctuation? Like, oh, a bunch of people all of a sudden want a bunch of bananas. And I, you know, I'm the only one in town that has bananas. Right. Let's say in theory, let's say the guy, he, the other guy in town who makes bananas dies and like a long time ago, you know, or makes fruit and you're the only one now. Well, then now a bunch of people that weren't your customers before. Now they're your customers. And now you, you know, have this upward demand for, you know, 
fruits like bananas or blueberries or whatever it might be and people need to eat. So then you could, you know, if you don't have currency, then it becomes harder because then you got to try and barter with everyone and try and figure out, okay, well, this many bundles of blueberries, I guess that's worth that many fish or, well, I guess that's worth that jewelry or whatever it might be, you know, but with, with currency, with some sort of fiat currency, like right now we had in America, we have the dollar, you're able to trade, you're able to say, okay, these blueberries are worth $2.00. And then once you get those $2, think about it. You can buy whatever you want. There's no limit. Like, as long as it's worth $2, you know, if, for example, I go into Walmart and I have, let's say, you know, $20, that's not that much money. But think about how many things I could buy. I could buy, you know, especially individual things. I can buy cereal. I can buy kids' toys. I can buy some sort of small technological part. I could buy a new shirt, you know, whatever, all kinds of different things, you know, but if I had to go into Walmart and say, hey, I have a fish, can I, what can I get for this fish? Or, oh, I have a dagger, what can I get for this dagger? It'd be much harder. You wouldn't be able to have Amazon or Walmart or anything like that. You know, I want this phone. How many fish is it going to take to get this phone? Well, if they don't want fish, <laughs> you're, you know, you're going to have to barter, 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 barter. So you're also wasting a lot of time trying to trade for all these things. So, you know, in the Garden of Eden, as far as I know, they didn't have currency. Right. It's fascinating to think about this idea that we just created this currency. Um, and, you know, every day that we get up, we serve each other. You know, when I mark my gas every day, I'm serving those homeowners and, and whoever else because I'm keeping them safe. Number one, because gas is a hazard. But you know, that's why I do. I mark atmos gas at the time it's recording. You know, if I don't mark it, then their house might blow up or, or whatever. You know, there's a threat to their life, but also like they won't be able to turn on their stove. They won't be able to cook food, you know, assuming that they're, micro you know, obviously they have the microwave. But, you know, they're just I'm serving them and I'm keeping them from losing their gas. Right. I'm keeping them safe. That's part of my job. You know, some jobs are like more about safety, like life, like obviously like EMT or firefighter or whatever, like my job. But. You know, other jobs, they're still important, even if they don't protect your life, per se, like directly, because in, in a way, everything protects your life. You know, if like, I don't have cell phone service, and I'm in the middle of nowhere, like I might die. Like I met, I randomly met a guy, he was like stuck in the middle of nowhere. He just like, I just like randomly pulled to me when we were talking. And he was like, yeah, dude, I was like in this back road, and I was like in the middle of snow, and I was about to run out of gas, and I didn't have any cell phone service. I thought I was going to die, right? So... You know, just him having cell phone service is a huge benefit for him because, you know, he's able, you know, in theory, he would be able to call somebody to help him out. But if he has, if he's stranded and there's no one around, you know, you wouldn't think cell phone, not having cell phone service can make you die. But given the right scenario, it can. Um, one, one way, one of my favorite, like, kind of tests when it comes to um, thinking about something, whether it's biblical or not, like, you know, obviously outside of the scripture itself, is thinking about whether we could logically make a, an argument for being in heaven. Um, or just, well, technically, well, yeah, because technically we're not going to be in heaven per se. We're going to be in New Jerusalem, but it depends on how you want to find it, because New Jerusalem is technically a city from heaven. So, But that's another conversation for another day. Um, yeah, in the next life, in the eternal state, right, we are all still going to work. We're all going to be on the new earth and we're all going to still have jobs, whether we're going to do what we're doing now, I don't know. But, you know, 
there's obviously a question of how if we're going to be some sort of enhanced in the sense of like is god going to upgrade our bodies to the point where we will become like cyborg and we have crazy memories like how much how are we going to be very like we're just gonna be are we going to pretty much just be without sin but be the same obviously we don't know but there's a sense in where pretty much no matter what i can't think of a way to get around having some sort of currency some sort of way to take my asset liquidate it into a common means of exchange that allows me to be open to anything i want to buy right like you know um Like the chick that sells Spanx, right? Like I also listened to her in this book called recently called the um, Think Like a Billionaire. She sells undergarments, right? And you know that's not for everyone, right? I mean, for the most part, guys aren't going to buy her products. It's primarily for women, and like she can't just walk up to like every person and be like, "Hey, do you want Spanx?" But yet she's a billionaire. How? Because of the modern market and technology, she's able to get to her audience, and then she's able to, um you know, get a currency from that. Like it's valuable to a lot of people and the product is obviously good. So even though she sells something that's like relatively rare and like new and niche, like she's able to be a billionaire, right? So why is that possible? Like why is she able to be super wealthy and they're therefore super able to, you know, have a lot of buying power? You know, if she was going up and trying to like, oh, hey, do you want my Spanx? Like I'll trade you your Spanx for you know, whatever, like your, you know, your like phone or, you know what I mean? Whatever. Like I'll trade you a hundred spanks for your phone. Well, that'd be very difficult. I don't need a hundred spanks. I want my phone or whatever, like your extra phone you have. Right. But she's able to sell a hundred spanks to a hundred different people that want them and get, you know, whatever. I don't know what it is. Let's say she gets $5 a pop after profits on each one of those. And she made $500. Well, now she can take that $500 and buy whatever she wants with the $500. So, you know, that's the beauty of, the way that we've come, we've come so far and that's the value of it. And, um, that's the beauty of the free market is with the currency we have, it's a level playing ground to where everyone has the same form of currency. Obviously now you have different things like Bitcoin and you have other countries have different currencies, but in general, um, you know, we all work and do different things, but by the end of the day, we all come up with basically the, the same buying power. Like each one of us gets a dollar, each one of us has the same units. Some people obviously have way more. Some people get way less by the end of the day. But in the day, we're all able to go into the store, whether in person or online, and be like, hey, I, I want to buy all these things. Like, I can walk out with $200 worth of stuff, like a whole cart full of stuff. But if I just had Spanx and I was trying to go to the store and say, hey, I have 200 Spanx, like, what can, you know, can I just do a tit for tat training, trade for all these? No, that'd be hard. So it's to me, it's easier to be like a product that's kind of obscure. It kind of helps like how, she, you know, and without currency, she wouldn't be able to be super rich because it'd be very hard because she had to like barter for all this. And like she'd have to go try and find everybody and try and figure out, okay, I'll give you your Spanx and you give me this and just try and trade for a bunch of stuff. So currency is liquid and it gives you flexibility and allows you to easily be able to like move around, you know, okay, well, I have this money. Do I buy this? Do I buy that? You don't have to like you know, trade one for one, spanks for whatever. You just can have money and money is universal. Um, so I think that in heaven, like I don't see any reason why we would like revert back to like a more archaic version of 
like economy, like economics. Like we would, you know, go back to another version where we're having to be like trading for like direct object or, or a service. Like I can, and you know, in the marketing world, they could be like, Oh, I'll do your branding for you. If you do your SEO for me, like that's another part of, that's another type of bartering, like services for services or service for a good, like I'll, you know, I'll run to the store for you if, you know, you give me your sandwich, right? That's like, I did a thing for a, an, a, the sandwich is the good, right? But <clears throat> instead, I can just give you, you know, $10 to go to the store for me. And then, you, you know, and then you can take that $10 and use it however you want to, right? It's not just limited to the sandwich. So <clears throat> it just allows everybody to have more flexibility in how they use their valuableness. <clears throat> so to pivot from this conversation, so now we're like, I was kind of section two, section three now is talking about basically breaking down, like thinking about socialism in light of God's call to take dominion in light of like the value of currency and the paycheck and what that allows us to gain. Uh, the enemy of, you know, the free market, you know, uh, laissez-faire, um, you know, capitalism, all these things is socialism because socialism says, hey, you worked really hard, you're valuable at this level, more than most, and we don't like that. And so, you know, these other people aren't nearly as valuable, so we're going to take from you and give to them, even though they're not as valuable, and also part of it is they're not as good with their money. So the idea is that we covet how much more valuable you are to the world and how much more important you are to the world. So, you know, we want to be able to have the same buying power as you, even though we're not worth that at the core that is coveting. Right. So, you know, the Bible says thou shalt not covet another man's wife. Um, obviously a man doesn't own a wife, but there's a sense in where, you know, a spouse is, you know, a constant, right? Like, um, it's a very good example of an object that we have like in our proximity to be to be like, you know, fair. Obviously, like I said we don't own each other, but there's like an agreement that like there is a level of like commitment and, you know, like there's not like a deterioration of it. If anything, there's a building up. So obviously, assuming that the marriage is good, like, for example, my grandparents were married for like 60 years. Right. So. Over those 60 years, like they, you know, they didn't live, they've moved houses, they had different cars, right? Their kids came in, their kids lived with them and moved, you know, they had different TVs and different furniture and different beds, right? But they had each other the whole time. So that's why marriage is a good example, because that's like one of the most permanent relationships, even more than kids, because your kids are going to be with you for ideally for whatever, 20 to 30 years, depending on how big gapped up they are. But then ideally you're, you know, you'd stay with each other for, you know, longer. Um, so, you know, coveting your neighbor's wife is saying like, Hey, I think that I'm as valuable as you, or I ought to have what you experience, your blessings, you know, your status with this person or your enjoyment of this person, whatever that, per whatever makes that person enjoyable. Um, you know, I ought to have it. So I'm going to covet it. I'm going to long for that particular person. That's the key too. It's like, I'm going to long for your particular wife. You know, it's a very much a direct attack on that person. Um, so at the core of it is envy and the envy leads to coveting, like wanting somebody else's, you know, 
something that's theirs. Like that doesn't like belongs to them in that sense. Like they don't own them, but belongs to them. Like I'm okay with that category distinction. Um, and that leads to stealing ultimately, you know, thou shalt not steal. So socialism is basically what I'm trying to get at is socialism is anti dominion, um, anti subdue. Um, And, and, and to full, I mean, I'm not going to unpack socialism right now. Like, theologically, I would have to, like, get into a bunch of text and, like, break down, like, biblical economics and stuff. But just in passing, you know, socialism goes against this whole notion because, you know, you get a paycheck from your job. You do your job. You get paid, you know, at least for now, you get paid. We, in general, most people get paid what they're worth at that time, whether it's their skill level, their knowledge level, or whatever it might be, you know, whether it might be hourly or weekly or whatever you want to break it down. They're paid based on their value, and they can make themselves more valuable. They can be by becoming more you know, skilled in whatever they're doing, by staying there for longer, they pay you more, you know, what, getting more knowledge. Whatever it might be, you can obviously become more valuable, and obviously you can get paid more over time, but... Um, or like you can, you know, rise up in the ranks of a company and take on more responsibility for people, right? And you know, you can take on more, um, also, yeah, more responsibility. Like so, it's people who are corporate higher up people, like they don't do the manual jobs, but they take on the responsibility for like maintaining this environment, maintaining like you know, making sure the clients are happy that are working with from business to business, making sure the facilities work well, making sure all the lights stay on, making sure all the bills are paid making sure all the customers are happy, right? Versus like the normal person who just makes an hourly wage, they just go in, do their little task and go home. So they don't get paid as much because even though they do the work themselves, their responsibility level and their and the scarcity of their work is way less. It's way more scarce to have somebody who's a CEO of a company that you know pays millions of people. Obviously that person's worth way more because they have to oversee so much more. It's more their life is so much more stressful and complicated and it's much harder to fill that position. Um, to, to, to make a quick example of this, whenever, uh, one big jump in like modern economics back like a long time ago was when the, the bubonic plague happened, the, the, um, the black death. Cause a bunch of people died. Like at least, I want to say at least like a third or like maybe even like two thirds of the people in the middle ages died from this. So then you had a problem where you had basically scarcity of, re of, of, of workers, so then people were like more desperate for workers. So they were willing to pay more. And out of this, people were able, basically there was an, like almost like a temporary prosperity because people are willing to get paid more. And so that's where you had, um, out of this abundance, you had universities and stuff like that started to come up where before everyone was just almost like, you know, like serfdom. They were very much like, there was just a lot of people and they just had to do what they had to do to survive just for their life. But later on, once a bunch of people died, it's like, oh, man, now I can't really treat them bad. I got to treat them a lot better and respect them a lot more. So that scarcity of, of labor, you know, made them more valuable. And it made it gave them like basically a power uh, leverage over, you know, the, the people who want, needed them to work for them. <clears throat> so there's this. And this is kind of section four, just to pivot. We're going to something else now. So um, I'm not looking at the quote right now, but I, I follow this guy 
on value he's, he has a youtube channel called valuetainment and we're actually we'll fully get into like his arguments and logic i like actually listen to the video at some point but what he, he was he had mentioned that he basically um elon musk whenever he was covid was happening he was asking people to take a pay cut so that he could invest in the company more and some politician basically like went after elon musk and was like elon musk is terrible like He's making these people take a pay cut. And then Elon Musk like snapped back at him. And Elon Musk fashioned and said, this guy's a moron. Basically, he's an idiot. Because he's like, um, you know, your value with the company is not just your paycheck. Obviously, like we just said, like paychecks are super important and super valuable. And like has allowed us to become so advanced. But there's other kinds of benefits that you get from a company, right? So, you know, in the modern day now, we have, 401ks right we have um health insurance you know we have other benefits like that cost the company and that are a benefit to employees like there's a lot of people out there that won't go fully into unemployment or not unemployment self-employment um like owning their own business because health insurance you know paying for it yourself is a lot more costly and difficult to obtain than working for a company and just paying kind of like sharing the cost with your employer um yeah, so basically he just said like these people have like people who work for Tesla, they get a percentage of the stock. So when you know, he's basically saying like it's a, he's helping they're investing in something that tomorrow or whatever, five, ten years from now, is gonna be more valuable and that's and that in the long term is gonna be a better investment. And in a way it's kinda like force investing them. So, you know, it's actually kind of a way almost like more valuable than a paycheck in a way. Um, especially if there's like price matching, like with my buddy, he, you know, they have, um, he works for like in the gas industry and they have up to, I think, I believe it's up to like eight to 12% somewhere in there. So, you know, let's say he donate, he does, he saves like 10% of his, uh, check into 401k, then the company will match him like that up to that, whatever the percentage say it's 10%. They'll match him up to that. So they, he gets basically gets a free 10% of his check into his 401k. That's free money that he didn't do any extra for. All he did was just put down money and they just matched it and they just keep giving him free money. And that's on top of his paycheck. And then he had, and then if he has percentages in the company, as the company grows, then he gets more value out of that. And that's a long term plan. So, you know, with the stimulus check, a lot of people took their money and went and bought like frivolous stuff. They bought, shirts and shoes and you know whatever new headphones whatever it might be that they just basically took the money from the wealthy um and then just you know gave it to these people and then gave it back to them so you know they didn't take the money and put it into stocks they didn't put it into a business or something that's actually gonna like make the money grow right they basically just took the money and then just you know spent it real quick to where they would get something that would last them for maybe a few weeks or a few months and then they just get grow tired of it versus taking that money and investing it and making it you know make that thousand into five thousand eventually or ten thousand or whatever it might be so you know them let's say they let's say they took the 40 percent and they put it into to tesla well if tesla goes from being a thousand dollar value you know per stock just for example if it goes to like five thousand per stock um then obviously they, you know, they just like made five times as much money, you know? So 
Um, all these things that I'm saying is is we've come, we as mankind have come up with it. You know, we've said, what are pain points for people when it comes to people being able to maximize their time and make it the best out of their time? Like, right, we all only have, assuming we all live a normal life, obviously up until recently we started living longer, but let's say like we only have 60, 70 years, all of us do, right? And all of us, most of us reach a certain point where it's like we kind of hit like a, we kind of hit our, our peak and then we just kind of like, you know, we can maybe get a little bit better over time, but we're just kind of, you know, enjoying it. And then we all got to retire. So we all have this issue that we're living longer than we can feasibly work. Like we, you know, live in, like we work until 60, 65, and then we live until 75 or 80. So, you know, as technology advances and we're able to live longer on this earth, then you have the issue of, well, how am I going to pay that if I don't have any sort of paycheck? So, you know, you're able to make money now and put that money towards when you're old, you know. So this is ways that we figured out how to take dominion and to basically try and fight off um, the sinful nature, you know, to fight off envy, to fight off greed, to fight off covetousness, to fight off the, the desire to steal, to fight off the fact that, like, we, you know, for a lot of people with the modern technology, we're able to live longer, but we're like, we're like, we're like in a weird state where we're not able to work, you know, a full work week. Right. But we still obviously have all these needs. And really, if anything, that's the most expensive time of your life health wise is when you're like in those last 10 to 20 years from like 60 to 80, let's say, for example. So, you know, I have this conundrum where it's like, I need to, if I'm, I'm on like 30 and I want to be able to live till I'm 80. And if I'm not just like super, if I haven't like built a super amount of wealth, then I need to figure out a way to be able to, you know, make money now that I can figure out a way to make sure I have money later. So all these things are beautiful and um, they are part of God's command to take dominion and multiply and subdue the earth. Because if, you know, we are in survival mode and we barely are living, you know, if you can barely afford like you're like paying for yourself or you're paying for you and your spouse or just one kid, how are you going to multiply? How are you going to have a bunch of kids? How are you going to be a blessing to others? How are you going to be generous? How are you, you know, so in many ways, this is a pro kind of free market capitalism kind of quote. I don't, this is not necessarily meaning that, but um, being able to have currency that'll allow you to buy the any pretty much anything that you want as long as it's you know similar pricing, and you're able to work and build and build up towards buying pretty much anything you want for the most part. Um, and you're able to have all these amenities that we have now, you know, dishwasher, uh, washer dryer, right, electricity, AC, all these things are very very new, you know. But they're part of us taking dominion and multiplying, you know. Um, I don't know if we'll need it, but if we needed it, you know, because we have the knowledge now, we could sit there and create AC in our, in our, in, you know, or Jesus might already, you know, he says, I go and prepare a place for you. Jesus might have already done it for us. He might help us out a little bit. But, you know, in theory, we could build, you know, we could cooperate together and go up there and have scorched earth because God Jesus says in the revelation, he's going to start all over again. He's going to reboot this whole world so you can have 20 houses in this world but he's going to reboot it 
But nonetheless, we could start off with just dirt and just raw resources like wood and metal and all that. And we could basically rebuild the earth again. We could build it with skyscrapers and roads and, you know, all these things. Obviously, we wouldn't have the depreciation that comes with sin. But nonetheless, we'd be able to build all that because of knowledge. And that's what's fascinating is that I think I, I this was a side note, but I find it fascinating that, you know, the only difference between us and like being able to like live on other planets and um, be able to like travel space and to be able to, you know, fly around like very easily, like to have all these done is like literally just knowledge. Um, you know, we see all these sci-fi things and I'm like, su not, I'm not like super romantic about like, oh, I just worship it, but it's just like, you know, you have this kind of running joke where aliens come over, they're like, oh, these primitive people, they don't know how to do this stuff. So, you know, Adam and Eve, they didn't even know how to really do anything. Like, I mean, I would, I would argue they didn't know how to make a fire, let alone, you know, kill a thing, like make something that could kill an animal, right? Like imagine the first time killing an animal, you know, um, yeah, like they barely even know how to do that. What's the difference between them and us? The world is, you know, pretty much the same. Like, obviously, we've done a lot too in the sense that we've taken resources and repurposed them with alternative uses to, like, you know, whatever to, and, and recycled all the different resources, metal and, you know, all these, all these raw materials. But the one between them and, and us is just knowledge. That's it. We live on the same planet they lived on. And, you know, People who, you know, other than, and that's the thing too, is in the next life, whenever God reboots his earth, other than whatever sort of like kind of upgrades he gives the planet or us, the only difference between us now and us in like a billion years from now is going to be knowledge. You know, assuming that God doesn't just like, almost like a video game where he's like, all right, new update, you're going to be able to get jetpacks if you want it, or you're going to be able to like teleport. I don't know. Obviously, there's a lot of ambiguity around, but assuming it's pretty similar to how we are now. And there's not some sort of weird random upgrades like God basically still has us taking dominion and, and being fruitful and multiplying and subduing the earth. right? Assuming that part of it, like we're able to just do that without any sort of hindrance by sin and all these, you know, coveting and all that kind of stuff. You know, basically socialism really like, oh, I want your stuff. I don't like that you have more than me. You know, I'm going to go after it. Then, you know, we could really um, we could really make progress in eternity. And, you know, the nature of our existence will be obviously still be to worship God, but it'll also be still these dominion mandates. Like in the Garden of Eden, before there was sin, God still wanted them to take dominion, be fruitful and multiply, even though they were created to have a relationship with God. Like it's not one or the other. Um, and that's a huge reason why I started getting into politics and economics. I started to realize that, you know, as much as I love theology and church history and, and apologetics and like defending the Lord and I love the Lord so much, like it's also like this is God's world. We could worship God through it and we and we are making progress and God is delighted with that. Because that's why he says love God and love your neighbor. That both of them fulfillment of the law. You must have both. If you just love you love your neighbor and don't love God, um, then you obviously that's not the full that's not the fulfillment of the law of Christ. And if you just love God and you don't love your neighbor, that's also not the fulfillment of the love the law of Christ, right? The Ten Commandments are, like Jesus said, if you summarize them, is to love God and love your neighbor. Um, so I wanted to end this, this like kind of thought experiment, thinking about the value of these things and like the like the how um, how economics and and us using money and using all these things to like basically obey the original mandate from God. I wanted to talk about this analogy um, that I heard in in chapel that I reference a lot when I talk to people. So when I was in Bible college, 
at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Back then, it was it was the, the college was just called the College at Southwestern. Like right as I was graduating, it became Scarborough College. There was a guy who was in chapel, and he was kind of just trying to do like a, he did like kind of like a perspectile analogy. I don't remember what he talked about. I think he was talking about like how quick this life is. I don't know. I mean, we the chapel like three times a week for pretty much the whole time. So there's a lot of different sermons, but um, yeah. So he had this analogy where he said, okay, let's pretend everyone in this room. So there was like hundreds of us. Said, let's pretend that everyone in this room are on a plane right now, and we're trying to like fly. To whatever our destination is and our plane all of a sudden like blows out and we all just crash in this island right and we're all stuck there and you know we're there for a few days and we just kind of try and you know survive thinking somebody's gonna come get us or you know we just are not thinking in any sort of long term we're just like i just gotta get some shelter find some food for now a few a few days turns into a few weeks and we're like oh man we gotta maybe store up a little bit you know, we got to try and figure something out. It might be a little bit longer than we thought. A few weeks turns into a few months. And then it's like, man, somebody might not come. Like, we need to set up some sort of temporary kind of society. We start asking, what did you do? What did you do? You know, I'll, what did you do in the other world? Well, I was a doctor. Okay, what did you do? Well, I was a plumber. Okay, you go with your hands. Okay, what did you do? Well, I, you know, I was a teacher. I taught ideas. You know, okay, well, you could be a teacher here. You know, and kind of obviously transferring it over. But, you know, the problem we were just talking about earlier was... You know, this is not the point of the analogy, but I'm going to highlight a certain part of that. It may be interesting to me. Um, you know, in that world, in that little microcosm world, it just like all of a sudden we just we're outside of the norm. You know, not, you know, a lot of us don't have like just a bunch of cash in our pocket. Right. We need some sort of bartering ability to be able to exchange things, you know, basically the forming a division of labor. So in this story, they have shells. Shelves is like their currency. So, you know, they're there after a few months passes, like they've kind of built a system, a good amount of months pass. And like now everybody's kind of like, all right, I guess, I don't know, we might not be saved. We might just have to live the rest of our lives here. So then people start kind of, you know, getting used to their jobs. Like, okay, well, I guess I'm a doctor. Anybody comes, I'll look at them and see what's wrong with them, whatever it might be. And just like our world, some jobs are more important than other jobs. So certain people are able to collect more shells, which buys them more buying power. And the analogy, what ends up happening is people come and say, basically a boat comes and saves them. And then certain people have a bunch of shells because what they do is more valuable. And they bring it, they bring all their shells to the local bank and they say, hey, I want to exchange these shells for basically your currency, which in our analogy would be a dollar. And they say, uh, sir, we don't like we don't exchange shells for money. And he's like, but I spent eating you know, in this analogy. They've been there for years. I spent years, you know, accumulating, you know, all these shells. You know, I was very rich in my world, you know, and in our little world we had. And he said, I'm sorry, you know, that's not a form of currency here. You know, in your little made up world, it might be, but not here. And it was analogous. The story was analogous to us going to heaven and us like being like super wealthy here and pursuing like building a bunch of wealth here. But then in the end, we're just all going to go naked and start with zero money. Obviously, there's another conversation about eternal rewards and what we can do here to get money in the next life. But yeah, the point to me is obviously that's a weird, that's like a very weird scenario. That's not like normative, but just talking about this life and what we're doing here, um, 
you know, naturally people over time will try and figure out like what's the best way to go about this. And every, they're going to, we're going to all try and figure out whose skills are the best at what, and then certain skills will be more valuable than others. And then you got to figure out some sort of way that we could all barter with each other with some sort of common ability with some sort of common, common thing that we can liquidate, you know? So I'm a doctor. Okay. Well, you want to come? All right. Well, give me these, this amount of shells. That's my fee. Right. And the doctor goes home and he has a bunch of shells and he goes and goes to the marketplace just like everybody else does. And, you know, says, I want, like I said earlier, I want a dagger. I want fish. I want whatever, whatever it might be, you know, goes and buys all the things that he needs. And then the people who are in, you know, they work at the grocery store there, whatever the market is there, you know, people who are selling stuff, they go and take that money and they go buy other stuff. So obviously that's how the economy works. But, um, you know, without any, any sort of, you know, basically ability to like take what they do and like liquid, have a liquid form of it that they can exchange, it'd be very difficult because then you go back to the bartering world where, you know, if we don't have some sort of agreed upon fiat currency that we all can use universally between us in this little made up temporary world that we have, then it's going to be very difficult because like I might want to sell my fish, but I have plenty of daggers and I don't need a dagger. And the guy's like, well, I really need fish and I have daggers. What am I supposed to do? So then he's have to, he might have to go over here and trade his dagger for something else that he doesn't really want. Yeah. You know, then you have like kind of like the hero's quest. Well, if you want this, you got to go get this. And then you go to them and like, well, if you want this and you want, you have to go get this. And it's like, before you know it, you're five to 10 people deep and you're just wasting all this time just trying to get your dagger to, you know, but then, and then you might get mad like, ah, it's so hard to sell a dagger. Maybe I need to go do something else. But then all of a sudden there becomes a shortage of daggers because then you're not making daggers anymore. You know what I mean? So it's like, um, you know, it's, that's what's beautiful about money and about paychecks is like, Hey, you did this work. Like, here's your money. Like now you can go take that money and like, you, can, you know, you can go like not, you can go buy a house. You can go buy a vehicle. You can go buy whatever you want. It, it empowers people and it incentivizes people to become more valuable to society because as they become more knowledgeable, they take on more responsibility as you work harder, whatever it might be, then you can build more wealth and you have more buying power. Socialism goes against that. It says, I don't care how hard you worked. We're going to make, we're going to take all your extra money away. Well, that takes away all incentive. Um, it would be like, Oh, you, you know, you spent 15 years becoming a doctor and winning all that debt. Well, I don't care. You're still going to make the same amount of money as the janitor, even though he has no training and had no extra work he had to go do. It's valuable, but it's not, it doesn't, it, it didn't take all of this time and energy and, you know, money, you know, all this, all of this to get into it and to try and pass all these tests, very high risk. Cause you might, spend all this time and not pass the test and have to, you know, wasted all that money. Right. So, um, this whole thing is, you know, I could just go into economics and could just go into paychecks and all that. Obviously it's super valuable, but you know, connecting our theology with our politics and connecting our theology with the way that we view money, you know, this is important, you know, this, we have to see currency and cooperation and the division of labor and what we do as God's design and we can't separate what we do during the day and the money that we get from, you know, our, our, the way that the fact that we're in the image of God and we've been called to take dominion and subdue the earth. Um, but this perspective is very important because then it basically redeems work and it redeems currency. And that's why that book, you know, work is the meaning of your life. Like even in eternity, we're going to work. Right. So, that's been the subject for today. If you have any questions, you can um, comment. You can message me. Um, just a little plug. 
Um, you know, I'm the author of Are You Free? It's a beginner's guide to liberty. So if these kind of like subjects are kind of newer to you, or if you wanted to think about it more, ponder on it more, you can go check out my book, Are You Free? I'll provide a link to it in the, in the notes. So I will see you in the next one.